TalkZone.com. Now, TalkZone presents Two Guys on a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys on a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome, everybody. Friday edition of the Two Guys at a Mic Show, TalkZone.com. The coach and the big dog with you right up until 11 o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. Hope you are having an outstanding Friday thus far. you got a great weekend planned ahead. Weather here, at least in the fine city of Chicago. And be very careful how you say city of Chicago. But I'm pretty good at it. Nine out of ten times I ace the test. The tenth time I get suspended for two weeks. But uh, beautiful weather here in the city of Chicago. We hope it's as nice wherever you might be listening. We will talk the Chicago Bulls game from yesterday. Got a little baseball action. We'll jump off the sports page. Find out what in the heck the big dog is doing this weekend. And mucho, mucho mas. Play a little music and then we'll kick this sucker off. We also uh, have to get a report, David Olson, from Punta Vedra Beach, Florida. From the Players' Championship in golf. I'm really not all that interested in it. I just love uh, saying Pantra Be- Vedra Beach, Florida, where the Players' Golf Championship is going on right now. By the way, Tiger Woods blew up on the first day. Still trying to find his stroke. But the uh, topic at hand, Chicago Bulls fans, uh, dial it up. Get on right now. Time to talk about it. Analyze some of the happenstance from yesterday's Game 6. And unfortunately, the final game. Of the 76er Chicago Bulls series. Our phone number here, if you want to check in, 888-463-6748. That's 888-463-6748. Unbelievable end of the game. The Chicago Bulls, well, I guess the, the story really starts at the point, what was it, three, four, five minutes into the second half? When they're chasing 12, behind by 12, and it looks like they are about ready to go in the tank. The body language, not good. Frustrated to score Philadelphia playing great defense, but to the Chicago Bulls credit, they turned it around on a dime. And I think it was, believe it or not, the go to the game, CJ Watson, who got a three pointer to kick things off. I'm pretty sure it was him. But all of a sudden, in those fans that watched the game, you saw a tremendous Chicago Bull comeback. All of a sudden, the defensive intensity, the second half defense by the Bulls, one of the best we've seen them play. And that's a heck of a compliment. Because you're talking the best team in the National Basketball Association, so when we say that's as good a defense as we've ever seen them play, that's a heck of a compliment. That's a hell of a compliment. But they erased the 12-point deficit almost in no time at all. They're rolling heading into the fourth quarter, controlling the game, and then we can break it down play by play. It's going to be painstaking, but as sports talk hosts, that's what we have to do. First of all, let me introduce my co-partner in painstaking. A man who I'm sure is not feeling all that great this morning, but he's a bounce-back guy. His motto each and every day is best day of my life. We'll see if that holds true, even after a tough bull defeat. Joe Redwanski, the big dog, joining us here on Two Guys and a Mike Dog. How are you? Uh, Coach, I'm doing a lot better than every <laughs> single Bulls fan that, that had to watch that game last night because, uh, you, know, I, I, last, you know, I do the tours on the river, and last night it was a Thursday night, and... 
I had to do a tour, and, you know, I have to do it. I'm a working man. I need to work. So, uh, you know, I, I realize I'm going to miss a bowl of game sticks, and I also realize that because I'm working so much, I'm not going to be able to, to tape the game and watch it. Ouch. So it's basically, you know what I mean? It's one of those situations. Ouch. I can't follow it, can't do any of that. And I'm not kidding you, I I am out on the water, and I have the, I have my uh, Casio Commando. You, you get a wet, it's beautiful. Uh, so I'm not worried about dropping it in the water or anything like that. And, you know, I, I checked the score, and one of the girls was like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm checking the pool score. She said, well, tell us, because there's only like six girls on the water. So it came apart where I was going like space in the station, and I'm not kidding you. Did the Bulls not score during the last eight minutes of the game? Did they only score four points? Is that what it? Because I swear they they had seventy four points with eight minutes to go, and they ended up at seventy eight. Can't give Did you the exact figures, big dog, but the offense came to a grinding halt. I can tell you that the last three, four, five minutes of the game. I, I you know I've not watched any highlights. Uh, the guys came that were uh, that you know came to talk to me about work and stuff. They, and they started telling me, they just started describing the last minute. And I was like, I'm so glad I didn't watch that. Because they were like, in, I'm like, are you a bullshit? They're like, I really don't even care. And they were like angry about it. I'm like, I'm really glad I didn't watch that. <laughs> Honestly. So pe- pe- hearing, people that are not even big Bulls fans, and they're, they're going around, God damn it, I can't believe a Sheik missed those last couple of free oh, throws. I, wow. I, I'm glad, Coach, I, I can't even talk about free throws. When I when I think about that, it's when you're a professional athlete and and you can't even hit one of the two free throws. And I understand that's an extremely, extremely pressure situation. But when you lace them up as a professional athlete and get paid millions of dollars, you got to expect to do that. He has to think about that all off season. I'm not going to rub it in on Amir Sheik at all. I don't have to. Because if he doesn't wake up this morning and feel like he's a, a, like just horrible, then then he should retire, honestly, because it's the only way I could say about it. If that's not how he feels. Like, if he doesn't really feel like burying his head in the sand for at least a couple days, you know, I I don't know. I can't even imagine what it would be like to miss two free throws with that little time left. And basically, icing and win. The way the Bulls are playing, there's no way that the Sixers, from what I understand from everybody else, there's no way the Sixers would have gotten an open look. It would have been a desperation three-point heave for a tie is what they would have had if Amir Sheik hits the free throw. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much correct, but I think your vent on Omer Omar uh, Sheik. I don't want to pound on him too much. I, well, know, I, but, I, but I, I think most fans actually aren't big. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. By the right, way, I thought, I thought I was at a disadvantage because uh, – I've still got the anger and the pain fresh because I watched the second half this morning. So the people that watched it last night, you know, they've been able to sleep on it, recuperate, put things in perspective. I now, you know, having watched the game just a couple of hours ago, Big Dog, I'm dealing not necessarily in the same mental state as many of our listeners. But getting back to Omar, very few people are blaming him. The dude, the dude played 39 minutes, Big Dog, played his butt off. Previous to that, he made five out of six free throws, was blocking shots, was rebounding. Oh, and by the way, with seven seconds left on the rebound, when the other four Bulls players completely froze, guess who was the only guy who sprinted back on defense? I got you. Amir Ashik. Omar Luther Ashik. His middle name is Luther, by the way. That's nice. Very few people know that. That's good to know. Yes. Because I don't really want the guy to get hammered. I was thinking of this. The guy probably played... What, 15 more minutes than he normally would play? How many more minutes did he play oh, in that yeah, game? At least 15. Boozer was so bad. And the Boozer group. Was, yeah. Yeah, Boozer, I think, missed 11 out of 12 shots. But what happened, Big Dog, is when they got down 12, they put a particular unit in. 
Uh, down 12, three, four minutes into the third quarter, game looked like it was lost, and this group of five all of a sudden caught fire defensively and scoring, and Thibodeau, and I, and I don't blame him, made no subs the rest of the game. Stuck with that group. I mean, they were in such synergy that you hated to break them up, so Ashik played almost the entire second half. Who, who was that five coach? Was Ronnie Brewer one of them? No. No, it was Tobbs Gibson. It was Omar Ashik. It was C.J. Watson at the point. Luol Dang, who played a very, very good game. And uh, rest in peace, Richard Hamilton. Okay, well, if Rip was playing well, I'm fine with that. I have no problem, you know, as much as it, – it, it's sad to see. It, it really is. You know, and it's one of those things where I have a job, and I'm missing a bold playoff game where it's a death. It's so – you know what I mean? It's so desperate. I can't even explain how uneasy it is when I'm actually doing the tour. I'm actually thinking of the bold game. Mm-hmm. Isn't that strange, Coach? But it you, know, is. I, I give, you know, I give my heart and soul into that. You know what I'm saying? But in between, like, stop to stop when I'm just thinking and not actually talking to people, mm-hmm. I'm like, right now there's a Bulls game going on, and I'm freaking missing it. Why uh, there there is a machine called the DVR this day and age, not that technologically superior. Why are you not able to uh, function via the DVR? Uh, 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 I guess you you don't listen very well, Coach, but I don't blame you. I was, I'm, at a, I'm in Chicago now. I'm staying at the girlfriend. And uh, there's no cable there. Ah, there you go. So forget forget DVR. Okay. If I was home, I'd have to go. I have to go out to a bar and get you know, and I'll be there for two hours. And two hours usually right. means that I end up having to somebody actually has yeah. to wheelbarrow me home. And then I come here and I have to ask you what happened in the game last night. We need to run a contest, David Olson, where we give away free cable and a DVR and somehow rig it so that the big dog's new girlfriend, Lily the Lilac, and her family win the contest. That's an excellent idea, Coach, but yeah. let's not say that on air. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> 888-463-6748. Any fans listening, you want to call in and talk about the Bulls game? Big dog, like the uh, psychologist that I am, I'm going to take you through it step by step, and I want to hear your analysis as we go. And I'd love the. by the way, after the show, I'd love your analysis of my analysis. I, uh, I, I will not do that. Okay. Can I give my analysis of your analysis? Uh, yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, all right, so you heard me talk about the Bulls making the, the big comeback from 12 down when it looked like it was, you know, game over. It's not going to be painful. We just didn't have it. Philadelphia, better team, period. And all of a sudden, the Bulls, of course, make life difficult and the game very exciting by playing unbelievable basketball. So they're playing great defense. They're moving the ball. C.J. Watson still getting dominated at the point, but at about four or five minutes, big dog, with the lead, they're leading by one, two, three, four, five, somewhere in that range. We all of a sudden go into this mode. See if I can paint the picture for you. The let's not lose mode? The what? The let's not lose mode? Yes. But specifically, C.J. Watson would go plant himself on a outer wing. Can uh-huh. you picture the deep wing and area? And, and he would now. Dribble? What's that? The bent over dribble like he does? Yes, but yeah, but bent over back to the basket, protecting the ball. Oh, that's no, no, no. Play basketball. Can, but do you, you have the picture basketball. of what he's doing? I, I totally picture what he is. They do that, and in the regular season, I didn't mind. I'm like, yeah, let's win this game, get out of here. You know, in the playoffs, you can't stop playing, right? That's, it's the playoffs. That's what I thought, and nobody's talking about that aspect of it, and you know. So they did this three or four or five times. CJ with his back, you know, dribble, 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 and then go into their set with like 10 seconds left. Now, A, if CJ is doing that on his own, get his ass out of the game. I doubt he is, though. I'm guessing that's a set call 
from a Tom Thibodeau, and then B, my question, why the hell would they do that? Well, Thibodeau would probably call it, he would, it would not happen more than once, okay? He's little Napoleon. There's no way C.J. Watson <laughs> would have pounded the ball out if Thibodeau wanted, it did not want that to happen. You know, it could happen once, and it would be C.J., you know what I mean? Get it into the offense. It wouldn't, that, no. Coach, there's, that had to been a Tom Thibodeau uh, strategical decision. Mm-hmm. Let's face it, that had to be. I mean, how many times did they do it? Like four or five times? Yeah, I'd say okay, you know, at least there. three or four, and it was when the offense was in pretty good gear. We were rolling. I mean, Dang and Hamilton were curling, coming off of screens, and they were even hitting on occasion Omar Ashik going to the basket on the pick and the roll on the slam. Well, in, in baseball, there's no such thing as it because the offense or the defense controls the ball, period, and you know the defense can't score in baseball. But in hockey, football, and basketball, I didn't see the game, but I've watched sports way too much in my life to realize as soon as you go into shutdown mode, you give the other team an opportunity to take yep. total momentum and control the game. Yep. And you better be leading by an awful lot at that point, and you better mm-hmm. hold on and, you know, you put your yep. face between your ass and kiss your goodbye. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's not good. Yeah, I hear you. So you're with me on that. All right, now, and we got a few other things to talk about here down the stretch now. Sixers are down a point, and they miss the shot with about 13 seconds left, maybe 12 seconds left. Rebound ricochets off to C.J. Watson, and they do not follow him right away. Okay, I'm going to paint a picture for you now. Again, any Bulls fans watching, this is the play everybody's talking about. 888-463-6748. C.J. Watson, who's going to, it's not a chic big dog, but trust me, when you listen the next couple of days, it'll be C.J. Watson taking the abuse, and for the most part, I hate to say it, probably deservedly so. But anyhow, so he, he busts out down the left wing, and they're trying to chase him now. Ten seconds, nine seconds, Bulls up one, eight, they have a two-on-one. And he's breaking to the basket. Omar Ashik is, what would you say, just inside the elbow. He okay. hits He hits Omar Ashik with a, a bounce pass in stride. Ashik goes up for the shot. Now, something happened on the shot, but before we get into that, the criticism is that C.J. Watson never, this is what people are saying, I, I disagree, never passed to a big man. In a clutch situation like that, you're a much better free throw shooter. The clock's winding down. C.J., you should have hung on to the, the ball. But it was a two-on-one big dog, and he hit he hit Omar in stride. Your thought? Well, uh, now should, I didn't I didn't see it, so that, I really feel bad. But like I was saying, I was working all night. Should he have finished up? Should he have finished the play? No, I think I think people are saying he should have dribbled it out and killed clock. No, 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 no. no, no. I'm sorry. No, no. Should Omar Sheik when oh. he caught the ball, he was hit. Should Omar well, Sheik as a professional NBA basketball player right. finish the play and put the Bulls up by three this, points? This is point. the reason I didn't bring it up because it's going to get us off topic of if CJ should have passed or not, but here's what happened. He went up for a strong finish, uh-huh. and was it Hawes? Yeah, I think it was Hawes who clearly turned around and ripped. You watch on the replay, no attempt to go for the ball, Big Dog. It was an absolute intentional foul so that's what happens. He can't blame a sheik. He caught it, went up strong. It was a rip foul by Hawes. Um, but I guess the question is, they didn't call it. They called the free throws. We know what happened in the free throw. As a referee, can you make the intentional foul call that late and that critical of a stage? Like, like I said, you're gonna. I won't change it. I'm going to just my, my statement. You can go ahead and hammer me after it. 
But you always say, I'm not a man because I'll make a call. If it was supposed, if it was an intentional foul, then you call it an intentional foul. I don't care what time of the game it is. I don't care if that's the winning play. Mm-hmm. If the Bulls made the play, and I don't care if it was the other way around. I'm, you know I'm not biased. I can look at a play whether it's right or wrong. I haven't seen it, but like, I'm not talking about that play. But I'm saying if it's an intentional foul, I don't care what time of the game it is, you call the foul. You, gotta, you, gotta, you can't be like, oh, it's, the, it's late, it'll win the game for the Bulls. No, you got to call it. Yeah, well, see, the big difference is, Big Doe, you know, you think I would disagree with you, but you keep forgetting the critical point that I bring up in, in late calls like that. Uh, did it affect the play? So in this instance, absolutely. This was not away from the ball. This was not an incidental play. This absol- absolutely affected the game. So that's that's different. So I'm agreeing with you. But I think you're forgetting the point I make in some of those situations. No, no, I, I, you don't understand that I'm an official. I understand if it affected the play or not. I don't know why you always question that. Well, well, but I don't. But but you know, I don't want to get into the whole argument now. But you know, one of the things we talk about the home run where the guy misses home plate when the oh, ball yeah. was hit over the fence. That doesn't affect, affect the, the play. play. The that I'll argue play. to my grape, and well, it almost has brought me. Huh? So, well. As far as I'm concerned, a human being touching home plate affected whether or not he scored or not. What? That 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 that's that's that's, that's the, what the argument point is. Of course, we went off subject that's, to get this. Now we're going to end up getting that into might this be the, argument. That might be the silliest thing you've ever said, but I don't want to. I don't want to get in the whole argument. Uh, getting back to the play. All right. So so you'll see it on replay. So there was a no call. I don't know, David Olson. Did you watch it or not? All right. He was clearly ripped down, but they didn't call it. But but get back one step, Big Doug. I think this is the the heart of the matter. CJ's getting grilled. Kendall Gill, the Comcast color guy. Uh, uh, Kendall, yeah, Kendall after Gill. the game, absolutely ripping CJ Watson. And I'm thinking, as much as I disagree with a lot of what CJ did during the game, you know what? Two on one, you're busting the ball up the court, and you you got a wide open guy, and you hit him with the bounce pad. That's tough. I don't think it was that bad a play, but that's the one he's getting lambasted for. They're saying he should have pulled it out. Uh, you know what? I, I, I love the Illinois Fighting Illini and the 1989 team, the Illini. Kendall Gill, one of the best players in Illinois, going to his home state school, representing. I love Kendall Gill. But I want to tell you this about Kendall Gill. Uh, Coach, we do this little thing. Hey, Ron Santo, give me a picture. You ask Kendall Gill about any player in the freaking league, and he'll give you the most stereotypical scouting report on the guy. The guy doesn't know anything about <laughs> basketball. He sits there and, like, drools on himself. He wears <laughs> the goofiest suits, okay? You take Kendall Gill's uh, opinion <laughs> on basketball with a freaking grain of salt. Wow. Okay, the guy has been punched in the head too many times. Wow. I want to welcome in our first guest to the uh, morning show. Checking in line number three, it's Kendall Gill. Kendall, say hi to Joel. And, hey, what's up, Kendall? <laughs> You're a good guy, but man, you do your homework. You don't know it. Have you heard him? I mean, literally, do you listen to what he's no. on the air in terms of Scott? You know what? I, I, I hate to. It's really fa- embarrassing. He's horrible. I fast forward through the halftime stuff, and I don't watch the end of the game, so I, I really can't judge. The only thing I can tell you is you mentioned the suits that he wears. Is that his normal shoulders, or is that the shoulder version of stuffing? Oh, jacked, Coach. Uh, Kendall Gill, for a basketball player, has like he's actually got like a V body. He's got like a really he's narrow in terms Man. of like Rayleigh, but his he's like Kevin McHale. You know, like those crazy shoulders. Yep. That's what he has, just like Kevin McHale. It's a good looking man. I thought maybe it was the suit. Wow. All right. So um, 
So it sounds like you're you're not totally criticizing CJ on that. No, no. I, I, let's face this about CJ Watson. If uh, there's a reason why we're battling to get out of the first round, I mean, we the the, the Bulls are battling to get out of the first round because Derrick Rose is injured. The backup point guard who made a perfect, I guess, in pass drive to a guy that could have finished the play. Uh, how are you gonna rip? How are you gonna hammer a backup point guard who made a really good instinctual play? I am not hammering C.J. Watson. Okay. That's all. That's all right. done. Whoever hammers C.J. Watson, please quit having a bitter okay. life. Well, you're going to realize gonna... that the Bulls could possibly have a good future if we can ever get rid of Alfonso Soriano. I mean, Carlos Boozer. You're going to have a lot of people uh, coming at you, Big Doug, and I think they're actually tomorrow is scheduled a Occupy the Point Guard spot outside the United Center. There's going to be a gathering of uh, people upset with the play of John Lucas and C.J. Watson. Well, I am not going to... I'm not going to defend their play. I saw enough of the series besides game six. I saw the previous five games to realize they did not play well. Yeah. And I will repeat, our backup point guards weren't as good as the starting point guard of nope. uh, of nope. uh, Drew Holiday was better than our backup point guards. There's no question about it. I think one of my tweets uh, about a week ago after like game four was something to the effect of Bulls decide to – Skip Lucas handling the ball and just start with the shot clock at seven seconds. And that's pretty, but that's pretty much, you know, we laugh about it, but that's pretty much what it came down to with both Watson and uh, John Lucas. All right. So we're not done yet now. We're not done yet now. Now, Oshik has hit five out of six free throws, but we know he's not a good free throw shooter. One point lead, but to add a little mystery to all this big dog, both Doug Collins and what do you call him? The little general? No, little Napoleon. Little, I'd call him the puffy Napoleon. I don't know if no, little's I, I, ever. I can't. I, I can't. I can't say I came up with little Napoleon. <laughs> uh, angry Cub Nation or <laughs> Cub Nation angry and Twitter. Twitter. Uh, the, one of my. He said that today, and I just cracked up. He <laughs> hates Tom Thibodeau. So I, I love Tom Thibodeau. I do I too. I have to admit, you know, even though I love him, he's uh, he's not the perfect coach. So he, let's that's his. On the All right, so both both Collins and Tom Thibodeau had used up their timeouts. So as she goes to the free throw line, and it was kind of nice to see the players got to use their instinct. You can't. There's no timeout, no coaching. Now, let's think about the situation here. Let's gather. Let's hold hands, do a little kumbaya, do a little mental thinking here. Seven seconds left. Bad free throw shooter. One point lead. I'm going to test the big dog's knowledge here. What's the number one thing you want to accomplish defensively? I'm sorry, I wasn't paying any attention. <laughs> Seven seconds left. Yeah. Bad free throw shooter, Ashik at the line. Bowls lead by one. The uh-huh. number one thing that you want to accomplish defensively, let's see if the big dog's got his coach speak going on. Okay, well, you got Ashik on the line? Yes. What's your What's your number one thing you want to think about defensively? One point lead. I want to make sure they use as much time as Bingo! possible to get the ball up the court. Big dog, you are awesome. That's amazing. For a football guy, that's exactly right on. I, I appreciate that, Coach. Yeah, that's exactly right on. You want to make sure, you want to obviously contest a shot. Most likely they're going to get oh, yeah, a shot off. Yeah. You want to make them eat clock on the way up the court. Have you heard how the play unfolded? No, I, I, I honestly don't, Coach. I, I, I mean, legitimately, I have none. I have right. no idea what happened. He missed the first. He misses the second. Andre Iguodula. Somehow. From Springfield, Illinois, who I really like, the only yep. sixer I like. Yep. By the way, uh, he and Donovan McNabb. 
I would check uh, the mom and the mailman because they look they look particularly alike. That wouldn't be that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever, Coach. <laughs> I'm sure Mrs. Iguodillo is thrilled to hear that. Uh, he picks up the rebound, big dog, and I swear to you, he busted up the court. Not a single bull not only didn't touch him, nobody near him. He drives all the way inside the dotted circle into yeah. the body of Omar Ashik for a shot. They called a foul on Ashik. Have to see a replay, but I think it actually was a pretty good call. Nobody touches him. He breaks it up the court all the way to the basket and gets fouled by Ashik. How could the best defensive team in the NBA let that happen? There it is. In their most important defensive possession of the season, they let that happen to him. Taj and Luol Deng crash for the offensive rebounds. They collapse on a little X move, which is questionable if they should be going that hard. And then I think Ronnie Brewer, who was in the game, and the other guy also casually went to the boards or drifted to the side, and Iguodula went straight up the middle. What a time for a break. That almost reminded me, are you young enough to remember the Danny Ainge trip up the court to win it for Notre Dame in the NCAAs or the Tyrus Edney UCLA play? Uh, Tyrus Edney in 1995 to beat Missouri to get into That's... the 16. And uh, uh, Danny Ainge never played for Notre Dame, but he was against Notre Dame. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Brigham Young against Notre Dame. Uh, in 19... Uh, yeah. picture, picture those plays. One guy dribbling and the rest of the defense standing around frozen. It actually happened to the DePaul Blue Demons one game also. In what against array... St. Joseph? Huh? Against St. Joseph, That's right? the game. Mm-hmm. That's so. Picture those plays. That's what happened to, as you said, the best defensive team in the NBA. Shocking. Uh, I'll do a comparison real quick. Uh, this year, the Super Bowl. Does, does, does Wes Welker have the top five hands of a wide receiver in the NFL, Coach? Yep. Uh, well, a ball was right in his hands if he catches it. The New England Patriots are Super Bowl champions. You know what I mean? The best. Oh, the best defensive team with seven seconds to go, and you. That's what happens. You know, I mean, how do you lose? How does Wes Welker drop a pass? How do the Bulls let a full court dribble for not a layup, but basically a layup? You know, if uh, you got fouled, unbelievable, coach. Yep. Well, can you imagine Thibodeau when he's watching the tape of that? Oof, brutal, absolutely uh, brutal. Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I just hear one thing. I just read a, a one tweet this morning. Thibodeau's. I'm really proud of my team, and I, I can mm-hmm. understand that. Their top three players were not playing in this game. Noah, Rose, and who else? Oh, I guess it wasn't. Uh, well, I guess it was just their top two. Yeah. Well, Dang, Luol Dang did go out. Uh, he was he was on a roll early, got eight quick points, and then uh, non-intentional was not a dirty play, but he caught an elbow to the, just inside the eye. He had to go into the locker room and get uh, like boxing style, get stitched up a little bit. And when he came back, he lost the flow that he was in. So that did hurt. Okay. So maybe that's the third injury you're talking about. 888-463-6748, the phone number. Big Dog, you will be able to attest to this because you watch the other games. And this is not going to make anybody feel better, but it's an observation I have not been able to bring up. Um, I keep forgetting to. I cannot remember a series where a team dominated the boards on both sides, particularly a series from start to finish, game after game, quarter to quarter, possession by possession, where there was practically zero offensive rebounds by a team. Philadelphia, it was was the most dominant defensive rebounding I've ever seen in any NBA series ever by the Bulls. 
through the end, and then they they don't win. I mean, do you remember Philadelphia pulling an offensive rebound? It's I don't remember not not for any big buckets. Yeah, I don't. I, I honestly don't remember them doing it for any type of big buckets. I, and honestly, I don't remember doing it at all during the series. But I guess most importantly, I guess every bucket was big in this series. When when scores are in the seventies, it's like any type of possession is huge if you can get a score. But yeah, it, it was a dominant. It was totally dominant. And Philadelphia fans were totally ballistic about it. They could they didn't understand how the Bulls were dominating the rebounds so much. Mm-hmm. So. It, it, they were dumbfounded by it. Well, I think it was, for the most part, you've got one guy, Hawes, who tried to rebound, but he's not particularly athletic. The other guys Spencer were... Spencer Hawes is Dave Corzine. That's what Spencer, Spencer Hawes is, Coach. <laughs> he is, he's Bill Weddington. You know, there's a, the left, Spencer, Spencer Hawes can hit a jump shot, uh-huh. Bill Weddington. In 10 years, he's going to be the backup center for a Greg Popovich team, and he'll score <laughs> eight points a game, and you're going to be like, this guy is awesome. Just He can't defend or rebound. But you put him on the court, and he's a weapon. Yeah. That's what he, that's yep. he could have a nice career, and he's never going to rebound. Yep. Offensive side of the ball, he's pretty good. Well, that's okay if you got a bunch of hellacious rebounders along with them. Yeah. I think they've got the ability to rebound, but, you know, for Evan Turner and Jeruel Holiday and Andre Iguodula and uh, the rest of it, it was almost like they were disinterested in going for the offensive. They, they conceded the defensive rebound of the beloved Bull. And, again, and that's, that's very small consolation at this point. Yeah, well, if the Bulls didn't have offensive rebounds, I don't know how many points they would have scored in the. If if you if you took away second chance points in the series and was just if you scored once, the Sixers would have outscored the Bulls by twenty points a game. I think. Yep. That's how they they, they need an initiator in the offense. They're way too dependent on Derrick Rose. The key to the Bulls becoming a dominant. And I'm going to say this. I don't care what anybody says. The greatest dynasty in the history of the NBA. I'll take the. The six and eight over the eleven and thirteen by the Boston Celtics in the nineteen sixties when there were eight teams in the NBA any day. Okay, uh, the reason why the Bulls went from being the team that couldn't beat the Pistons to the greatest team ever was they no longer relied solely on Michael Jordan. The yep. whole philosophy was no, Joe, Michael, you are just one of five. You are one of five. You will get your points, but you don't. You are not going to depend on you constantly. It has. A, it doesn't have to be the triangle. The Bulls have to figure out a way to make Derrick Rose the leader, of course. Of course, the leader is the hardest-working guy in the team and the soul of the team, but one of five, if you understand what I'm uh, understanding. I don't know. Not, it's not, obviously not the triangle. It might be the triangle. Who knows? But do you understand? Because they've got to figure out a way to not be so dependent on Derrick Rose. Big Dog, not only do I not understand, I completely agree, and I think you are right on both in your Bulls analysis – in the Michael Jordan year, people forget that. But that's exactly when they started to win, when Michael stopped hogging the ball and realized it was team, and you're absolutely right on, on Derek. More people needed to hear, including the Chicago Bull coaching staff, more people needed to hear that last 30-second diatribe. David, cart uh, that up. we got to send it to somebody. You're right on. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I don't want to get into the whole Jordan debate with you, but I, in my heart, I really early on it was hogging the ball. Right before he finally turned the reins over, I don't think it was hogging. I think it was more just so determined. It was like how Kobe Bryant gets now when the Lakers are like only a good team and he just tries to take over too much. I, I think it was more that I never felt it was hogging. But early on, Coach, you were right when he had the necklace and he was averaging 37 a game. And 
I remember one time there was a guy underneath the hoop in like 1987, Coach. A bull guy wide open. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost positive it was uh, Rod Higgins. Jordan <laughs> jukes somebody, and he could have passed it to the guy, but instead he took two steps and was Atlanta and dunked. And his own teammate got facial. The dude standing underneath the rim who was wide open just got dunked on by his own teammate. It's one of the funniest moments in Bulls history. By the way, if it was Rod Higgins, that's his best friend. <laughs> yeah. Um, David Olson, you will, in our in our less than storied eight-year career on the Morning Break Radio Show, among the most vehement arguments that I got into, and a lot of it was maybe a little bit less so with Joel and more with the ex-partner Mark, Kansas City Carmen. But I would I would argue that Michael Jordan was a below-average passer. Phenomenal player. The best I've ever seen. He was a below-average passer. And, of course, Carmen and I think you, Big Dog, completely lambasted that, but I'll argue that also to my uh, soon-to-be grave. A, a shooting guard who is shoots over 50% from the field and is the all-time leading scorer. Yep. Okay. That's like trying to tell me Johnny Bench didn't steal enough bases, Coach. And he was a phenomenal passer because I do realize, just realize this, that in the in the last 10 regular, no, the last 15 regular season games, because it was 10 triple-doubles, in the last 15 regular season games of the 88-89 season, Michael Jordan played point guard for the Chicago Bulls and into that postseason. By the way, that was a postseason that they broke out and everybody realized, wow, this team is awesome. Uh, he had 10 triple-doubles in 15 games. Don't tell me Michael Jordan couldn't pass. His role was a little different on the well, Bulls back. I'm going to say he's a below-average passer. I think he had the ability, if he had any desire to be a good passer, but I don't think he did. And I'll throw this at you, Big Doug. The fact that he was the greatest scorer at the time, he had double coverages. He had defenses geared to stop him. That means, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Your local junior high coach can figure out there were other players that were open. And how many, you watch the highlight reel of Michael Jordan. You show me how, show me how many highlight reel passes he makes. And the answer is pretty darn close to around zero. I, I, all I know is this, is I remember a day where uh, Jordan came back. This was uh, the year that right after his retirement, he goes to Madison Square Garden in New York, and he's, and him and Bill Weddington teamed up for 57 points <laughs> in the garden. Okay? And yeah. I remember a highlight pass. Michael Jordan could have took the game one in shot, but no, Patrick Ewing leaves. His old rival from St. John's, Bill Weddington, to go try to block Michael Jordan's shot, and Michael Jordan passed to Bill Weddington. They teamed up for 57 that day, Coach. So don't <laughs> tell me Michael Jordan couldn't pass, all right? Uh, Michael had 55 of those points, but he could pass, all right? Don't tell me. Uh, the only time I didn't want him to pass is when Bill Cartwright was posting up. Remember Cartwright? Cartwright would get the ball, and he would make a six-foot turnaround jumper look like the hardest gymnastic stunt, degree of difficulty, nine-pointer. He would fake. He'd go up, under, pivot, left, right, up, under. Shoot the ball, Bill. If, if you, Wild Bill Cartwright. If you were like one of those people that had like that, that like the, the pay cable television where they get to, you get to watch like the first five minutes of the game and then they you have to decide whether or not to buy it or then it goes away, you know, one of those. Yep. Well, if you watched the Bulls back then, you would think Bill Cartwright averaged 50 points a game. Every single game 
the whole Bill Cartwright and Long Luke Longley uh, era while <laughs> Bill Jackson was there, the first three or four possessions went into the yep. center no matter what. Yep. And they would always score. And the other team would be like, are you serious? And then the rest of the game, they would never go to the center That's one more time. Exactly the, right. The entire ball game. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> that was that was a consistent uh, consistent game pattern. Here, here's another way to look at it with Michael's passing. I've heard a, um, or I think I, I heard it in the coaching clinic one time when you're teaching young players to play defense and you talk about a defenders and I, I love this concept. Are you a willing defender or are you an anxious defender? The willing defender, you know, or the coach says you're supposed to slide over and help, I'm going to slide over and help. That's the willing. Or maybe a better word than anxious is eager. Are you willing to defend or are you eager to defend? The guy who's looking to give early help and recover, who's anxious to provide that defensive play. I would say it's the same thing with Michael Jordan and his passing. Was he willing? Eh, he was. But was he eager to set up his teammates and make his team better? He was not. I'm not. And you know what? You know, it's so funny you say that. And would you agree that uh, LeBron James and, and Michael Jordan, the biggest the biggest difference between them is killer instinct? Um, okay. You know, that's, that's, like, that's like the debate. Whether or not you agree, or I agree, because who knows? I, I don't know these men. But that's like the thing, oh, who has killer instinct? Well, you know what? Michael Jordan always wanted to be like the, the the tip of the bayonet coach. You know, he wanted, you know, so I he had that mentality of being the assassin. So you know, sometimes when you have that that mentality, you're not eager to give it up. And I have no problem with that. Okay? Right. okay. Sometimes you just have to figure out what you have. He was the ultimate weapon. It was nonstop, 100%. He wanted to be the best defender in the league. He wanted to be the greatest scorer in the league. He wanted to be the best player on the best team in the league. It was as simple as that. And sometimes you just have to take that for what it's worth, okay? Mm-hmm. You know, there's well, sometimes when you have a strength that is so strong, you end up maybe having, yeah, he wasn't eager to give the ball up. And, you know, eventually he did, though. He eventually did, and it made him great. But he still, even though he was willing to give it up, he still knew that, hey, there's five seconds left in the shot clock. Just figure out a way to get me the ball, and I will get up a decent look at the hoop. That's mm-hmm. just pretty incredible to have. I'm not going to rip on him for not wanting to pass, Coach. All right. Big Dog and a Coach. Good analysis. Big Dog, 888-463-6748. Need to get over the pain of the Chicago Bull victory last night. We can revisit it at the end of the show. We'll probably talk about it a little bit more tomorrow, and then uh, we, we start moving ahead. But more importantly, Big Dog, you were out on the water yesterday. Beautiful day in the city of Chicago. Anything interesting happen that we can talk about on Family Sports Radio downtown tonight at waterriders.com. Uh, well, Water Riders is doing extremely well. If you guys want to come on down, just to let you know, anybody that contacts me via the show, you basically are going to get a ridiculously low deal as compared to what everybody wow. else would, uh, and, pay when they go out on the, I mean, ridiculously and a back massage low, too. Like, like if, if we're open, like if you came out tonight and you said, Hey, I listened to the show. I want to do your historical tour. Uh, and you just basically showed up at, at 645 at 950 North Kingsbury on the river, people, not on go to the Montgomery Ward building. Basically, you can go for free tonight. Just contact me. It's not bad. You have to fit me, though, when it's all done, though. 
Because I have a group of eight, and I figure hopefully maybe ten people show up. Well, I'll have enough kayaks for everybody, and it'll be a good time. So, especially, especially like my, uh, I, I, come on out, people. It's a good time. And I'm not going to be able to do this all year. So this is like the one time I'll do this. Maybe once or twice more. And on a Friday night, it's not going to happen. And this is the Ghost and Gangster Night, Coach. I tell stories of how Sam G. and Kana and Joe Kennedy helped get Jack Kennedy elected in the 1960 election versus Nixon. People uh, love that freaking story. The, uh, tour, the tour is not going to be uh, the same, though, without the sneak peek at a Marilyn Monroe. Well, I, I've never, I really could care less about that. But I can no longer tell the stories of, uh, like, the day that I, the first day I worked for the Tribune Company and John Micah killed himself by jumping off the building, like, right in front of me, and I saw the disemboweled body. I'm no longer allowed to tell that story during the tour, but I can tell it on air. So Wow. Disembalmed? What does that mean? Sliced in disemboweled? half? Disemboweled means that when he jumped off of the Tribune Tower, he actually hit one of the gargoyles that are oh around, boy. like, the 17th floor. Oh, boy. And disemboweled means, like, your insides get, uh. like, it's like if you take a knife and okay. a big sword. And, okay. You know. Yeah, thank you very much. That was your first day of work? Yeah, so I get there, and there's a body disemboweled like right in front of the WGN radio door. You probably it's thought April. it was an initiation for all new employees. That's what I thought. It was April 1st, <laughs> 2001. So Come I'm on. Up, Coach. It's, it's it was April not April 1st. It was April 1st, 2001. It's my first day wow. as, an, uh, as a, an associate producer. I say that because it sounds so much better, an intern, okay, at WGN. And I get to, I'm like, I didn't know I'm supposed to be there at 1 o'clock. It's it's. 8.15 in the morning, okay? I'm making sure I'm not like, you have no idea. I'm, I'm like skipping. I'm doing the Ron Santo click in my heels as I walk down <laughs> Michigan Avenue. I'm not kidding. I'm like, I'm like walking. And next thing I know, I see a body right in front of me. I'm like, oh, my God. I can't even explain. I go from exhilaration wow. to absolute horror. When I just thought about that moment, Coach, chills just went down my body as I was explaining it to you. Okay, That's, that's, that's unbelievable. First day of work, something like that happens, which is a one out of every hundred years occurrence, and it happens on April 1st. That's unreal. It's no joke. It's no joke okay? Ten years together on the radio, and that's the first time that story's come out? Uh, well... I, mean, I don't know what else to tell you about that. I've, I've got a lot of other stories that I could probably tell you, Coach. Wow. And then, like, so I'm sitting there. I don't even know what to think. I'm like, i got to get to work. And the cop's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, I work at WGN. He's like, oh, no problem. Where's your Where's your pass? And I'm like, I don't have one yet. It's my first. So he's like, get the hell out of here. And he's just like, I'm <laughs> me. He's like, what the hell's wrong with you? You sick? And he's like, like a, like a Chicago cop laying justice down on a gaper. You know what I mean? And he's like, because it had just happened. <laughs> You know what I mean? So I was like, here's here's Big Dog, a wide-eyed, energetic uh, first-day intern, and all of a sudden you got a cop fired at you. You got a dead body in front of you. Oh, that's good stuff. Where was the camera uh, when we needed it? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, <laughs> I get in, and then uh, later on, uh, like years later, <laughs> I'm at a family. Well, those are my family. I'm actually considering my family. I'm at at one of our family's uh, like barbecues, and and Mrs. Hogan is there. And Mrs. Hogan at the time worked for the Tribune Company in the building. And I told her the story. She, like, really, really solemnly tells me everything that had happened. I don't want to go into the guy's name, and I'll do it real short. On April 1st, it was a Monday morning. He had come to work. And earlier that, like, that day, but or that night, like 12 hours earlier, uh, his wife was like, you know, I, I, I love somebody else. I'm leaving you. And decided to tell me he's going to divorce him. He gets to work, and they were like, we know you've worked for the shipping company for 35 years. 
going in a new direction with the whole internet and thing. There was he was like part of the first cutback. Mm-hmm. Packed up his desk, walked up not to the total top of the Tribune Tower, but there's like there's like it's a Gothic building. It's the last Gothic skyscraper built in the city of Chicago. Hooden Howells designed it. It was open in 1928. It's an awesome building, coach. Well, he went up to like this cage window, walked over like to the ledge, so he still has like. 20 towers above him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he jumped off the side right into where the, like, right real close to where the, like the Marilyn Monroe statue, would you be able to see where he hit? Okay, that's where it was. Right on the Tribune Tower, and he hit, got disemboweled. And, and it all because, like, in a 12-hour period, he lost his, his wife and his life, which was the Tribune Company. I guess the guy just loved his job, worked there for 35 years. Still. So what to do after it happened? For 99 out of 100 of us, though, we could, you know, get hammered with two horrible things of news. And I still can't imagine myself, even with those things happening, Big Doug, walking, climbing up a bunch of stairs and, and, and jumping out a window. Well, if Chris Whitting walked in right now and said, you can no longer do two guys in a mic, I, yep. would, I would be worried, Coach. I would be worried. I'd be I up would, on the I roof. I would have to run to you. I would run to you. Coach. I'd be up I on the roof run. at least it's... pondering. Of course, our roof is only two stories high, so I don't. I might <laughs> injure myself, only... but on the good, the good part would be I wouldn't be disemboweled. <laughs> well, it depends on. There's a, a pretty big bush on the on the south side, so you got to be really careful over there, coach. Eight 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 four six three six seven four eight. The phone number, dog, and the coach at your service right up until eleven o'clock. It's the two guys in the mic show here on the Talk Zone. Come talking about the Bulls game from last night. Also, baseball on the docket, Big Dog. And you said you had a bunch of stories you haven't told. Well, I got news for you. All we had to do was talk about Cubs and Sox the next three months. Start documenting some of those stories, Big Dog. We may need some help the next couple months. No, no I'm telling you, they're, the Cubs right now, ever, you can joke when I'm saying this. They're playing the Milwaukee Brewers, who they're tied for last place with in the, in the National League Central. If, just say the Cubs won like eight out of 12 games. They would probably be in second place in the in the National League Central. I'm like, if they go eight and four over the next twelve games, and mind you, they're playing the Brewers, they're playing the Cardinals, and oh, the Cardinals are good. What a freaking surprise! You know, my my respect <laughs> for the Cardinals over the years, which yep. I've have learned to garner, because most of my friends who are Cardinal fans, because I don't hang out with the the Central Illinois meth addicts, so those Cardinal fans <laughs> don't hang with me too much. Are all respectful and good people. But still, I'm starting to get to the fact that can't you suck ever? Come on. Can't they ever suck? Why do they, Why are they always competitive? Oh, every year, who the Cubs compete? Oh, that's the Cardinals. Why? How, how are they always freaking good, Coach? I, I don't get it. And not only in wins and losses, but they typically play the game. And I know you're a baseball aficionado, Big Doug. You are a purist of the game of baseball. They play it the right way. And, and I would have said the same thing about the Minnesota Twins who've done it for years, too. Not the most talented, but they keep bringing up young players. They even keep bringing a new coach. They keep playing fundamentally sound, the right style of baseball. It turns into Ws. Now, the Twins have fallen off the table this year, but that's the Cardinals not only win big no, but they do it the right way. Well, the CEO Epstein, Cubs way, which is the new organizational motto and edict, the Tome that he wrote, that everybody is going to play baseball like professionally, when you walk up to the plate, you don't just go up there like Alfonso Soriano, take your bet, hit the plate as hard as you can, swing three times as hard as you can, then take a left turn and go back into the dugout. <laughs> it ain't, that is no longer how the Cubs are going to approach batting. When you tap home plate, you're going to look out there, oh, we're down two runs, it's the ninth inning, I'm leading off, 
I better get on base. Because even if I hit a home run, our team is still losing. The best way for us to win the game is for me to get to first base somehow, anyhow, whether it's get hit by a pitch, take a pitch, or go back up the middle with a base hit. Or, hey, if, you know, if two outs, tie ball game, you know, the guy behind you can't hit and you know you can hit a home run off this guy, go ahead, look for your pitch, try to get one out of the park. They Do it the right way. Have a right approach, Coach. That's all I want out of my team. I want them to at least figure out, like, I, that every time they try to execute something, at least it's to what they need to win a game. If they're playing that way, I can live with it because I know eventually they'll win more games than they lose. Matt Garza on the mound tonight, taking on Randy Wolf. I'm not sure if it's an afternoon game. I said tonight it might be an no, afternoon it's 7, game. It's seven ten. Okay. Uh, Garza going up against Randy Wolf, the veteran for the Milwaukee Brewers. For the fans, might be watching tonight. Ronnie Santo, tell us a little bit about Milwaukee Brewer right-hander. Randy Wolf. Uh, Patrick, you don't you don't ever make a mistake. <laughs> soft toss and lefty, Randy Wolf. Lefty. That's all he'll do. He'll just throw. He'll soft, softer and softer. That's all he'll do. <laughs> so the right-hander, Randy Wolf. The first thing you're telling me is he's actually a lefty. Yeah, that's what I'm going to tell you. He's had a really, really bad year, Coach. Uh, but the, to be quite honest with you, I don't know what it is. Soft toss and lefties, including Randy Wolf, Wolf have owned the Cubs. This is a new Cub approach, though, right? This is a whole new organization, whole new style of hitting, and they're going to take some pitches and make sure Randy Wolf has to throw them a fastball or two so they can hit one out of the park. That's why so I that. told. It's exactly why I told my five foot seven and a half inch, one hundred and two pound sophomore son David not to give up baseball. He was the ultimate soft tosser, big big dog. Couldn't throw a fastball by anyone, but a mean changeup, slow. Slower and slower. It can throw off those hitters. Absolutely. So is he a lefty? Yep. Why didn't he a five seven lefty throw in soft toss and change ups? With control. And then you and you know what? And just let's face it, he's part of the tribe. You know, <laughs> he, the, the, the scribes would make him a fan favorite. You know what I mean? He should have stuck it out. You should have uh, stuck it out, coach. And you know Pittsburgh would have given him a chance. There were actually there were there were fans and a couple coaches, not a lot, but there were some that would argue with him. That would yell at him like and, you know, not when he was nine or ten, because I had him throwing the changeup at like age eight. And I mean he perfected it by age twelve. Great control and uh, perfect timing on it. But you know, they're <laughs> they're beginning, you can't do that. That's not baseball. What are we playing? Softball out there? That's not fair. We heard all the it wasn't that bad, but we definitely heard comments over the years, and um, apparently people thought the soft toss was not. Well, that's awesome. That yeah. is a coach. Uh, I, I swear to you, this is no joke. This is no freaking joke. My whole entire from Bronco all the way, what's that, Pony, and then, then Colt after that. Mm-hmm. Well, Colt, it didn't matter anymore, but during Bronco and Pony, there was this left select, this guy that was the son of a, a manager, and I never got picked by this guy because, I don't know, I just never ended up on his team. But every single at-bat I played, they would pull out the starting pitcher. They would put in this lefty who threw, like, 17 miles an hour, and I swear to you, I don't think I ever made contact <laughs> with that kid. And then when I, after he got the strike in the out, you know, I said, okay, so the fourth hitter goes to get struck out. They, the guy goes back and plays first base, and the pitcher comes in there, and, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody else gets the hit off. Oh, I, I needed you. I should have had you talk to David because his career started to unfold in the late Pony League travel years when, you know, it's kind of a macho thing. Mm-hmm. And he he felt uh, a that he couldn't get the betters hitters out with the super slow pitch, and that b 
you know, wasn't cool. So his he let his ego get a hold of him, and he wasn't throwing it anymore. Tried to throw the fastball, not fast enough. He was getting shelled. So that was and the end know, of the career. If I would have had a pep talk, or he would have had a pep talk from the big dog, he might still be pitching right now. You know, but I, I was never a bully, and I never picked on people. I really didn't. But I remember after, like, when we it went from he did this to me in Bronco League for two years, and now it was in Pony, and I was just like, are you serious? Come on, man. I'm hitting, like, 400. I can't even make contact with this kid. That I, I started bringing up the fact you can't play football. I said, you know what I mean. This kid dominated this pudgy dude that was like a backup on the football team. I could not get off of that. It got to the point where I started like making fun of him for other things to try to make to try to help in my batting. It mm-hmm. didn't help at all, coach. And so, like on the football field, I took it out at him. I can't even explain <laughs> that. <laughs> now, speaking of bullying. Speaking of bullying, have you heard the latest controversy? And this one, I got a feeling, David Olson, this one might not just be a story and then disappear. This might have, as they say in the political spectrum, legs. Are you aware of the story, David? Are you referring to the Mitt Romney uh, bullying? Yes. Yeah, that's that's kind of a strange one. It's fairly severe. Big Dog, apparently, uh, you know, be careful what you do in your high school years because it can come back and haunt you. But uh, four out of five of the kids, I guess, now have spoken some via name, some unnamed, refusing to give their name, but confirm the story that in the all-boys prep school that Mitt went to, mm-hmm. that he led a group that attacked the new kid in school who had the blonde hair, going with the blonde punk rock look, who they it, kind it, of it, assumed. The, the hippie hair, because yeah. consider when it was. It was in the 60s. Yeah. And whether there's a little differentiation whether they thought he was gay or not, if it was gay-related, but they basically held him down. Didn't mm-hmm. beat him up, but held him down, intimidated, and shaved his hair. No, no, no. They didn't hold him down. Mitt Romney held him down yep. and cut his hair. That's And a, Mitt that's, was the that's leader the of that. Yeah. So, you know, was it just a little high school hijinks, my friend, or is that a window into the character of the person? Interesting. Oh, yeah, I, I, I told you I couldn't believe the Republicans were going to nominate him. I told you that. The whole, the whole thing he did, how many, how many times did he bankrupt a, a company and, and raid the pension? Well, he argues that he created more jobs, that he closed some. I have no problem when people do that, but there's, his stuff is really suspicious. I, I, I cannot believe that we're in a situation where the, our two presidential candidates, I don't want to get all into the politics, but I, it's really, I, I am dumbfounded by our two, the last couple of people that have run for president. Whether How could another Bush ever have been nominated coach in the first place? I, that is, I'm dumbfounded <laughs> by. Okay. okay. And then and the people who Bush ran against, and then, hey. and then oh, right now I just can't even, I can't even fathom what's going on right now. Hate it, to it, tell it, you, Big Dog, there's more Bushes out there. Jeb is a prime candidate for 2000, whatever it might be. 16? about political machines. It's about political machines, coach. It's almost impossible it is impossible to get elected for anything from state to Senate, Congress, governor on up. And probably any, any, basically any city that is more than like 20,000 people in it to be a mayor of those cities is almost possible if you're mm-hmm. not part of a political machine somehow. All right. Heck of a job today, big dog. Heck of a job when you think about it in the 56 minutes and 28 seconds they allow us. To be on the airwaves, I've kind of written down some notes here. We've analyzed, uh, magnificently the Chicago Bull game from yesterday. We talked about the legend of Michael Jordan, some do's and don'ts. 
We also talked about a suicide on the first day of your work, which happened to be on April 1st. Cub baseball, the beauty of the changeup and the political spectrum of where Mitt Romney's going and might there be another Jeb Bush or another Bush in office. That's not bad for 56 minutes. And we're, and we're probably going to be stuck with Barack Obama for the next four years. So I hope not. Big Dog, where uh, can people find you this weekend? Any exciting events planned? We know. Hey, are you, uh, there's a rumor that one of our staff members may be, uh, kayaking with you this weekend. Yeah, he's coming out on, uh, he's coming out on Saturday. Who? Who's he? It, it, uh, that's, uh, that's our guy, David Olson, ah! coming out with us. But, uh, I, I'm, Saturday's pretty busy for me. So, uh, it's, uh, we have a tour at 2.30, and people come on out to that. I will, I don't know if I can hand out any freebies like I can tonight, but uh, contact me. If you tweet me, follow me on Twitter, and you get a free ride, just follow me at This Year Man, and uh, you can get a free ride on the water today. That's a nice tour, by the way. It's excellent, Coach. I yeah. got the same kind of story that will just, uh, like, shrivel your bones. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Big Dog, you have a great weekend. should be outstanding weather for the uh Waterriders.com tours tonight, Saturday, and Sunday. Remember to uh, tip early and tip often, correct? Yeah, well, on Mother's Day, we only have one at 7 p.m. i got to hang out with my mama every once in a while, Coach. 7 p.m. on Sunday? Yeah, Mother's Day. That's odd. Have a great weekend, Big Dog. Who the hell is going on the Chicago River for a tour at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night? First of all, it's dark up. Do these kayaks have lights? No, it's not dark out. It's not dark out. And don't forget, the river walk is very well lit. Ah. So, okay, I'm I sure thought... it's, I'm sure it's beautiful. Okay, I, I'm just picturing big dog standing up on a kayak with a big spotlight. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Back at you Monday at ten o'clock. Two guys at a mic talk zone. Dot com.